0: If you would please stand with me for the reading of today's text. We are in Ephesians chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, hear the very word of God. And you, has he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God... Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with christ by grace you are saved let's pray father we pray this morning that through the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word through the filling of your spirit Through the faith that you have given us, you will take your word and you will use it to conform us, you will use it to change us, and that you will make us more and more like Jesus in every way, and we ask this in his name, amen. You may be seated. John Newton is quoted as once saying, I know only two things. I know only two things. I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. As we were going through Ephesians chapter 1, I recently asked, what is a Christian and we looked at several different possible answers and definitions and I suggested a relatively simple answer to the question a Christian is one who is in Christ one who is in Christ now the follow-up question to that one seems obvious right How does one become a Christian? How does one become a Christian? We saw in the first chapter of Paul's letter many glorious truths regarding those who are full of faith. Those who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul began by pronouncing grace and peace on us. Grace and peace. And then in rapid fire succession, he progresses down through many, many staggering truths. You and I, the faithful in Christ Jesus, have been blessed... With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Can't even imagine all that is included in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Paul said that you and I have been chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. That you and I should be holy and blameless in Christ in love. That you and I, that our adoption by Jesus Christ was determined before time, all according to the good pleasure of God's will. To the praise of His glorious grace, you and I are accepted in the Beloved. You and I have been redeemed, saved through the blood of Christ. Our sins forgiven, washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Praise God for his glorious grace. That the Lord has acted on our behalf in wisdom and prudence, making known to us a mystery. The mystery that Jesus was gathering all things, all his people, to and in himself that you and I have obtained an an eternal and eternal inheritance. The Holy Spirit of promise has come to live in you and to live in me as a guarantee of our eventual glorification when we will walk away from this body wracked by sin. But wait, there's more. You see, Paul prayed for all of us, asking God the Father, according to his will, that he would give us even more of his Holy Spirit, that we could know more and more about the glorious realities we enjoy as the faithful in Christ. Paul prayed that we would know the hope of our calling. He prayed that we would know the riches of our inheritance, that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power, the miraculous power that raised Jesus Christ, the Messiah, from the dead. I guess that's the long answer to what is a Christian. We talked about last week that Jesus is Lord and all that that implies, all that that entails, all that that requires of us, that we are to go out in every place and declare that Jesus is Lord of all. But you see, Paul anticipated the next question. He knew that we would want to know, how does one become a Christian? How does one become or begin to possess all those things that were stated by Paul in the opening of his letter? you look at verse 1 in chapter 2 you will see that it says and who were dead in trespasses and sin verse 2 says wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, according to this passage, this includes everyone. This is man's condition this is our nature but there is a difference here isn't there you see it says that everyone who has become the faithful in Christ start in this same condition they've all come from the same place the same starting point the first verse tells us that you were dead. Dead. You had collected the wages of sin. This is the walking dead. This is the living dead. This is describing the life of those who have died and who the penalty of death is upon them and they don't even realize it. We might say it looks a little bit like a zombie movie. Paul tells us that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. You and I, by nature, we love the world. You and I, by nature, we love our sin. We find comfort even in our bondage to Satan and to his power. We have grown up in and around a culture that is dominated by the power of sin. It's in the air, as the passage says. Now, it is true that all men, even in this condition, all men know God. All men know of his glory. We see it in the things that he has created, the sun and the moon and the stars. All of his creation shouts his glory to us. Inescapable. We know of his holiness. We know of his glory. So all men have God's, have God's law written on their hearts. So all men know God. And yet all men struggle against him. We all wage War against him. Why is it that we struggle with temptation? Why is it we see that forbidden thing and it catches our eye? Why is it that we know of that thing that was not good for us And yet we still desire it. We still long for it. We fall to the temptation. Even the faithful in Christ Jesus struggle with this war. We battle day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute with varying degrees of success. If we never get to verse 4, we are all men most miserable. But there is a simple truth here in verse 4 and in verse 5. Verse 1 through 3 gives us the simple truth that men are sinners. They are dead in their trespasses and sin by nature. But then in verse 4, in verse 4, the subject changes. And it tells us But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. You see, this is God's nature. It's, it's being contrasted with our nature. We are by nature the children of wrath. And God by nature is mercy and love and grace. You see, God's nature is altogether different than ours you see he is holy and we are not he is good and the scripture tells us that there is none good not one only God is good he is merciful and we are harsh he is loving and we are hateful he is gracious and we are ungrateful We understand this idea of mercy. It says here that God is rich in mercy, beyond what we can even comprehend. But we understand mercy is not getting what we deserve. And that is true. That is what mercy means, that we are not getting what we deserve. But in this case, it is much, much bigger than that. When we think about God's mercy, we have to go back and we have to think about how mercy is presented to us in the scriptures. Let's go back to Exodus 34, verse 5 through 7. And it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord God is describing his very nature, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. You see, God, in his covenantal faithfulness, is merciful to his people. Praise be to God. He doesn't give us what we deserve, but he is steadfast in his loyalty and his love. And we see this over and over and over again, that God acts above and beyond what his people deserve. Psalm 103 tells us this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He is rich in mercy. He is plenteous in mercy. Later in Psalm 103 it says, So great is His mercy towards them that fear Him, as high as the heaven is above the earth, as far as the east is from the west. This is how far that his mercy. Has removed our transgressions. From us. As we continue in. Psalm 103. We read this. But the mercy of the Lord. Is from everlasting. To everlasting. Upon them that fear him. And his righteousness. Unto children's children. To such as keep. His covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them see God is rich in mercy he is abundant in mercy he is plenteous in mercy so great is his mercy his mercy is greater than the heavens are above the earth his mercies are from everlasting to everlasting they are not bound by time And in the passage that Deacon Rice read earlier today, we are told that God delights in mercy. This isn't some drudgery for him. This isn't some requirement. This isn't something that is imposed upon him. This is something that he delights in. God delights in mercy in these covenantal relationships he has with his people. We could maybe define his covenant relationship by the word mercy. As I think on this, I'm challenged in my own covenant relationships in the way I interact with my wife, in the way that I interact with my children, in the way I interact with you, is it defined by mercy? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, Wherewith he loved us. In his mercy, God loves the unlovable. The pattern we see in scripture is this definition of love is that he lays down his life for those who don't deserve it. He lays down his life for those who shake their fist at him. Jesus set aside his glory so that he could come and lay down his life for you and for me. This is a great love. Jesus emptied himself and came knowing that that emptiness was going to be filled up with the wrath of God because of your sins and because of my sins. Hear this, God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins much more than now, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, think about this, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Our penalty has been paid. Our debt is gone. Our life has been extended to everlasting. You have been made alive with Jesus. Or we might say, you've been made alive in Jesus by the exceeding great miracle working power of God, the powerful power that raised Jesus from the dead. In his great mercy and in his great love, God intervenes on our behalf and brings with him this resurrecting power that shatters the power of the air and changes your nature, gives you a new nature. It delivers you from sin and death by nature, and delivers you over to grace and salvation by and in Jesus Christ. You have been made alive by that same resurrecting power, it has been applied to your person. That is astonishing, that is amazing. I don't have words to describe what that is. This exceeding, great, miraculous power God just gives to us. He makes us a new creature. And you know what? Here's here's the thing. You can know that you have been made alive. Right? You can know that you have been made alive. Now hang with me here. Romans 8, 8 through 11 says this. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 8 through 11, for those who are trying to take notes, sorry. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He has no part of Christ if he doesn't have the Spirit. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. The Spirit brings life. And we can know, 1 John 3:14, we know that we have passed from death unto life. We can know this. We can know that his spirit dwells in us, that the body of flesh has died. And that we have been created new in the spirit to life. Because of righteousness. How do you know? It's really quite simple, isn't it? Because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides still in death. See, we have been raised up together with Him. And that mercy and that love that was poured out on us, that was showered down on us, we now possess. Because we've been made alive like Christ. We've been made to be like Christ. We have been quickened together in Christ. All that He possesses, we possess. Colossians 2 tells us this, starting at verse 10. And you are complete in him. Do you get that? There's no lack. You don't lack anything. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In putting off the body of the flesh, body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. This transformation I'm talking about is here being called the circumcision of Christ. That body of sin of the flesh has been put off. Buried with him in baptism. So that body of flesh dies. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, glory, hallelujah, he has quickened together with Jesus, having forgiven all trespasses. All your sins forgiven. You, brothers and sisters, have been saved by grace. You have been delivered from the dead. Your sins forgiven. You've been given all those things Paul talked about in chapter 1. You are complete in Jesus. You are joint heirs with Christ. All of the glorious Truths, you have received by faith all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Are you getting the picture here? By grace, you are saved. says so in verse 5. By grace, you are saved. By grace, you are saved. This is the kind of grace which causes joy and pleasure. This is the kind of grace that creates favor and acceptance. This is the kind of grace that shows itself in kindness granted to another. Favor imparted without expectation of return. A free, absolute expression of the loving kindness of God to men. Finding its root and its source and its motive only in the bounty and abundance and exceedingly great Benevolence and love of the giver. It is unearned and it is unmerited favor. We like this kind of grace, don't we? This sounds really good. When we hear this we think, I like this grace. I like this grace has exploded into my life. I like that God chose me to be a recipient of this grace. This is a simple gospel message but you know when you and I try to answer the question from earlier of how does one become a Christian we begin to see that that body of flesh is still hanging around a bit You see, because at this point our pride shows up. And we start thinking that we must be something special for God to show us his favor like this. We are very much like our father and our mother, Adam and Eve. You see, they were created good without sin. God declared them to be good. They were special. God had provided everything for them. They lacked nothing. They even received the promise of living forever. They were promised that they would never, ever die. They were special, but their pride still showed up. You see, they they listened to the lies of Satan. And the short version is, they wanted to be God. They wanted to have a say in the outcome. They wanted to be able to determine for themselves right and wrong, good and evil. This we inherited from our parents. And this is also part of that simple gospel message, isn't it? You and I are much too much like our parents. That old nature keeps dragging us down. We war with our flesh. And if we're honest, we usually aren't. You and I both want to be God. And we confess that we know the creator has created us. We know we are the creature and that there is a creator. We know that we are a special part of creation. See, because unlike any other part of the created order, God plainly told us that we are made in his image. We are special, aren't we? We know that the glorious, gracious creator desires good for us. We can see grace through the whole thing, from beginning to end, through and through is God's grace through the whole story. And why is it that as soon as we start talking about grace, there's a switch in our brain that gets flipped? Or maybe for you computer guys, there's a bug in our system Because we can go from the whole thing is of grace to surely there is something in us that deserves this grace about that fast. When we hear or read the phrase, by grace ye are saved, does it somehow seem insufficient? That you are saved by grace. By grace are you saved. That's it. By grace alone. I know. It just just something about it doesn't sit right. There needs to be something else. I mean, come on. The Reformation had five solas, not just one every one of us is thinking of what else needs to be added to the statement you are saved by grace what about jesus blood what about his cross what about his perfect life death and resurrection and i would guess that most of what you are thinking has scriptural backing And is theologically correct, right? You probably got proof text running through your head right now. By grace through faith. Because of the covenant. Because I called on the name of the Lord. I can pull those proof texts, but the stark reality is that you are saved by grace. Now those things I mentioned, they are, like I said, they are solid, they have scriptural backing, but some of what we are thinking is not. And hopefully we've moved away from most of this type thinking, like I accepted salvation by grace close it's really close (laughs) Jesus dies for everyone extending grace to everyone so then I choose Jesus asking him into my heart and now I'm saved I'm saved because I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. I'm saved because I believe the right doctrine and because I'm part of the right church. Or I'm saved because I've been baptized. Hopefully, for some of you, you cringe when I make those statements. But unfortunately, we don't stop there. We go even further than that, don't we? Has the thought ever run through your mind oh, they can't really be saved because? Because why? Because they are Calvinist? Because they're not Calvinist? They can't really be saved because they're Arminians or because they're not Arminians or because they think we have to speak in tongues to be saved? They're not really saved because they don't worship like us because they don't have communion every week. Maybe they're not saved because they don't baptize their babies. Maybe they're not saved because they do. There's no end to where this pride will take you. Paul says, by grace, you are saved. You and I display our old, selfish, prideful nature. We show at these times that we are really not like God at all. We don't act with other unlovables like us with mercy and love and grace living in mercy and love and grace towards others is often a foreign alien way of thinking for us brothers and sisters this ought not be the case for we here ascribe to what is called the doctrines of grace. We should therefore live a life that is characterized by grace, that is characterized by mercy, and is characterized by love, not pride. You see, there are, two kinds of responses to you're saved by grace. One is prideful, and it is ugly. But the other one, when we really get a hold of the idea that our entire world has been turned upside down, our entire nature has been changed. When we understand that we really and truly have been taken from death, the bondage of sin and Satan, and gently lifted and placed by grace into the kingdom of Jesus, we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And need I remind you that at that point, you are given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Don't look to the left or to the right for this answer. How does one become a Christian? O beloved of the Lord, when we hear such a question, we should fall to our knees and we should be overwhelmed by the grace that is in our life. We should lift our faces and our hands in thankful worship and praise and adoration. You see, because we were once dead, but God has resurrected us to life by grace. By grace. By grace ye are saved. Praise the Lord for his glorious grace. So what does it look like to live a life that is overwhelmed by mercy and love and grace? I struggle in these areas. I'm guessing you do too. But we can go back to the end of the first chapter of Ephesians and we can see what Paul prayed, and that we will experience more and more the filling of the Spirit, and that we can know the hope of our calling, and we can know the glory of our inheritance, and that we can experience afresh, anew, the overwhelming grace of the Spirit of God. In dwelling in us, a Christian is one that is in Christ Jesus. How that happens, how one becomes a Christian, is by grace that's it. You become a Christian by grace. Brothers and sisters, I want this truth to ring in your ears today. You are saved by grace. I want this truth to be ringing in your ears this day and forevermore. From here to eternity, you Are saved by grace. Let's pray. O Lord God Almighty, we are finite creatures trying to understand the infinite depth of your grace, of your love, and of your mercy. And we pray today that through the filling of your spirit and the work of your word in and among us and through us, that we will begin to see that miraculous life, resurrecting power at work in each one here and in ourselves as well. Father, we pray for that fresh outpouring of your spirit here and now. We pray that we can live our lives overwhelmed by grace. Let our lives be defined by grace. Lord, let us be like Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.